Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning. Goodly morning. How Just are- about. We made it. How are you? And I mean this quite sincerely. How how are you? How's the, the blood <laughs> pressure, okay. the heart, all of that? Yes, I'm okay. Do you remember... Um, when we beat West Brom on the final day and mm. Arsene Wenger was clinging to Pat Rice. Yes. Uh, that's kind of how I felt for much of the second half yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm okay now. My heart rate has slowed back to something approaching a normal rate. Although every time I think about Thursday, it goes up again. All right. Well, we'll come to Thursday, I'm sure, at some point. But... I don't know if anyone or if everyone listening to this will have seen your video yesterday um, taken Mm. around the 88th minute. I'm just going to play the audio of it here. I'm sorry to make you relive this again, but Mm. I thought this was was really quite something, and I'll come back to you afterwards. I'll play this little clip of audio. This is James at the match yesterday. This is me. What is it? 88 minutes on the clock in the concourse. I've had to go for a walk around. Because I can't watch. Uh, I'm a mess. Thanks to the other 60,000 people cheering the team on, I'm out here with a few lunatics pacing up and down, watching on a screen. Fucking now, let's just play the short pass to keep a watch. Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't, yeah. So there you were in the 88th minute, in the concourse, and we had some um, people on Discord asking questions. Uh, Ryan or Shine said, I was wondering if James would like to revise his opinion on watching the game in the stadium being less nerve-wracking. Mm. And also Roro Safaro said, I saw James's video of him having to walk the concourse during the game. Have you always been that fan or had games that made you that nervous? Or is that a newer sensation for this season's pressure? Great questions. Um, uh, is it I, is it more nerve wracking being in the stadium? I mean, it was yesterday. I, I think it. I think it depends <laughs> on the game and the context. But 
have I always been that fan? I don't think I have. I think I'm usually quite sort of stoic and calm and uh, rational. And crucially, I want to be at the games. Uh, <laughs> you know, having paid a significant amount of money for my season ticket, I generally attempt to make use of it. <laughs> but in the final 10 minutes of the game yesterday, I was... I sit on the aisle, so I was kind of and mm. I sit quite close to the sort of exit in the North Bank uh, to the concourse, and I just kept nipping in and out um, <laughs> because I couldn't hack it. If the ball crossed the halfway line and headed towards our goal, I was probably uh, wandering around somewhere <laughs> with my head in my hand. I mean, I, I enjoyed the, the reply to the video uh, from Luke Lampard, who's at Luke Lampard 1, and he said, I was sitting directly behind you, and when you left, my mate turned to me and said, he's losing his shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I was losing my shit, I'll be honest. And I think, is it new? Yeah, I think it is. I think there's a few reasons for that. I think one is how much I want it. Like, yeah. I desperately want this achievement for this team and for the fans and for the manager and for everybody associated with Arsenal. Like, it feels like it would be... I know it's not winning a trophy, but it feels like it would be a great big step in yeah. the right direction. That's why we're all nervous, right? Because yeah. it means a lot and we know how much it means and we know, you know, to some extent how unexpected it is in, in terms of where we were at the start of the season. I don't think anybody thought you know, going into May, we would be realistically in the fight for a, a Champions League spot. So, you know, no, that's so that's it. it, it that's, that's the biggest part of it. The other part of it is that um, what I would my sort of excuse would be that while the results affect all of us and affect all of our weeks and our time, I feel like the results of the games play a particular role in kind of determining the nature of my week in terms of like my working life like if Arsenal bottle it like it's 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 painful for us all but I will be asked by the Athletic to write a 3,000 word article on how <laughs> Arsenal choked do you know what I mean so like I have to sit on podcasts going through the, uh, uh, the bones of who, it, who you are you know? talking to here you're yeah. preaching to the choir I know exactly <laughs> so, what you're saying yeah so yeah so I am invested I am all in at sure. this point um they yeah, I, I I desperately need and want this, and it really took its toll on me. And it was such a roller coaster because, as I'm sure we'll talk about, the first half was serene, blissful. Mm. Um, you know, I was having a lovely day out, <laughs> and then one corner <laughs> changes everything, and by the end, oh, I was a quivering oh. wreck. And, I went out, I went out afterwards. I went to the pub and met a few mates and I saw Clive there from mm. Arsenal Vision and I was able to decompress and it was absolutely necessary. Um I th I haven't been to a game in my season ticket as a fan for a while. I've had a few things where I've had to work a lot of the games mm. and I think you know putting me back in that context the pure emotion of that it really took its time. Yeah, bedecked splendiferous in all your Arsenal merchandise. I like tie, well. didn't I, from Arsenal <laughs> Fan TV, just head-to-toe merchandise. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask, I was going to tweet 
uh, a reply when I saw your picture. I was going, are those uh, Arsenal branded uh, glasses frames or or whatever? About sure. the only yeah, non Arsenal yeah. thing that you were wearing. My red and white underpants. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I didn't want full to. merch wanker. That was me. <laughs> um, well, look, you know, you're right. It, it started one way. And it ended up something quite different. And, you know, the reasons, as we've just explained, are are obvious because three points at this stage of the season in the context of where we are and everything else were just so, so valuable and so important. And the idea that somehow we would contrive to mess that up because, you know, let's be honest, another part of the nervousness, James, is that we've seen this film uh, occasionally before, right? Where yeah. where somehow, against all odds, uh, Arsenal Football Club manage to do something that nobody thought was possible, you know, to snatch yes. a draw from the jaws of victory and, and everything else, late the, goals. The very improbability of Leeds snatching a draw in that game is what led me to believe it could well happen. Yeah. Um, Oh, and that's could, paranoia yeah. and fear <laughs> and trauma. Yeah, we're all scarred. We we all bear those scars, uh, yeah. mental and physical as they might be. Um, but yeah, look, I could hear the commentator. I could hear the you know the guy on Sky going, "Oh, this is extraordinary! Yeah. How has this happened?" The How winds have- of narrative were, were howling <laughs> around the stadium. Oh my goodness! Okay, well, look, let's go back to when it was calm. Please. And when please, it was serene, when you were enjoying your lovely day out in the sunshine. It was a beautiful day here in Dublin as well. It was lovely and warm. Sun was out. It looked great. The song was there before the start. Everyone was singing. And you're thinking, early goal. Come on, Arsenal. Give us an early goal to settle us down. And that's exactly what we got. An early goal from Eddie Nketiah, who closed down the goalkeeper, and tackled the ball into the back of the net after five minutes. What more could you ask for from the start of a game? Very little. I mean, it was a... I think you even texted me saying, early goal, please. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the gods uh, delivered. Well, as did uh, the Leeds United goalkeeper. Um, mm. uh, a big mistake. And Eddie, he did his part, really. I mean, it's an interesting one, Eddie, because... A lot of the commentary around him is like, oh, he looks sort of like he sort of jogs around. But he does chase down quite a lot of lost causes and he does benefit. If you look at historically at his Arsenal career, he's, you know, he's, he's had a couple of goals like this already. That's true, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, listen, the perfect start. And it did combine with the atmosphere, the weather. I think the, Mikel Arteta's name was being sung very loudly on mm. the back of his new contract. Um you know, it was a it was a, a beautiful day at that point in time. Um, <laughs> but dark clouds were looming on the horizon for James. On the horizon, yeah. I mean, and and the second goal as well, I thought was was fantastic. Really good finish from Eddie. It was a good finish, but really good play from him in the build up as well. And nice yeah. movement to get into the box. Mar- Martinelli roasted the defender, cut it back, and that's a really good finish. That is a really, really good finish from from Eddie Nketiah with his left foot falling backwards slightly but using the the pace on the ball to sweep it home. Uh, Really excellent goal. So 2-0 up after 10 minutes, and yeah, I mean, Son is continuing to shine and and everything else. I said it on my video, but I I, I thought that um, those Eddie goals, they made me think... And it's not to say he's a similar level of player, but they were kind of Aubameyang goals, really. They were proper strikers' goals. Yeah. 
yeah. that you don't score unless you've got a goal scorer on the pitch. I know that might sound really obvious, but um, he's a finisher and he's a he's a proper striker and he did his yeah. job and that's that wins your games sometimes. Well, exactly. I mean, the, again, without it being seen to be critical of Lacazette, we don't score that first goal if Lacazette starts because that's not... Certainly not. And I'm not convinced game. we score the second, to be honest. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, yeah, I think he's... He's done really well, Eddie, hasn't he? And of course, there are going to be loads more questions. And we discussed this completely uh, uh, pretty much last week. You know, I don't know that much has changed in terms of the situation. He's one game closer to playing his final game for the club unless something changes. But, you know, when you come in and you, you make a contribution like that, of course, people are going to slightly reassess their opinion of you and what you're capable of. And I have to say, you know, I'll hold my hands up and I'll say I didn't really think that he was capable of having that kind of impact on the team. Now, whether it's a hot streak, whether this is what Eddie is and this is what he can do on a consistent basis if he plays regularly, I don't quite know. But like El Nani to an extent as well, that at this point of the season, you're, you're looking for players to come in and do a good job. And he has come in and done a really good job over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I think that's right. And Arsenal played with real intensity in that opening period and, mm. and he was part of that. I mean, we pressed a pressing team, you know. Yeah. That's what Leeds are sort of were in, were renowned for, certainly under Marcelo Bielsa. And we harried them constantly. And I thought Nketiah played his role in that, as did others, Martinelli, Odegaard. We really squeezed them and were able to put them under pressure. And the goals, I thought, were... Just reward, really, for a really impressive start to the game. Yeah. Now, it it was comfortable at that point, and then it became more comfortable when Leeds went down to uh, to ten men. Mm. It was a shocker of a, a challenge from Luke Ayling, and quite why he only got a yellow card in the first place is beyond me. Uh, but if we've been critical of VAR for many things, and I'm still not an advocate for it by any stretch of the imagination. It feels more like this is the kind of thing that it should be used for rather than forensically checking every single goal that's scored to try and find a way to disallow it. Yeah, I agree with that. And I almost wonder, I mean, I was staggered that it was right in the opposite corner from me, but I was still mm. really shocked that the referee gave a yellow card initially. I do wonder if maybe, is it in his mind that VAR provides him a kind of safety net there? Maybe. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I doubt that's the instruction, but fortunately it was there and was able to correct that because it was just a, a crazy challenge the way he sprinted into it as well. I mean, VAR um, could overcheck. Uh, if he gave the red and VAR says, look, I think you might have gone a bit far, he can go the other way, can't he? Because we saw that happen with um, Emile Smith Rowe last season. Was it last season when he got sent off? sent off in inverted commas, and then the decision was overturned. It's Newcastle, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this one was clear as day, wasn't it? I mean, you know, mm. out of control. And Martinelli had already kind of tormented Ailing and others on that flank. I mean, yeah. we, we sort of slightly skipped over his role in the second goal, but it was a really good piece of dribbling and a great cutback. Uh, and to be honest, they couldn't really live with him all day. Um, I wonder if some of that frustration... Mm played into that challenge. But so 
idiotic, really. I mean, I think he's he might be their captain, Ailing. I'm not sure, but he's certainly one of the most important defenders. And mm. they've missed the rest of the season. Now. Yeah, he's gone. He's gone, and and rightly so. And Martinelli is kind of lucky in that he just flicks the ball, and as he's flicking the ball, he can see the challenge coming, and he can get up off his feet very slightly, you know. But uh, there was an you wouldn't have seen this, but there was um, an interesting graphic on Sky Sports as the teams were in the tunnel and they were talking about the uh, the change or the changes that Jesse Marsh has made since he he took the job um, after Bielsa was sacked. Mm. And there was a stat and I was like, you know what? This, it, maybe it sounds bad for us, but I think it might be quite good because I could envisage a player from Leeds getting booked or giving away a penalty or a dangerous free kick or something like that because they said I don't know what the numbers are exactly but like tackles per game under Bielsa were let's say was 17 and under Jesse Marsh it's gone up to like 27 tackles per game I can't remember exactly what it is but they're putting in a lot more chance clearly they are being instructed to tackle with greater frequency than they were before. And I think with that comes the potential for mistiming a tackle, making a dangerous tackle, making a tackle in the wrong area, giving away free kicks, maybe giving away a penalty. And I remember looking at it thinking, ooh, well, you know, some some people will say, well, that's going to make life more difficult for Arsenal, which I suppose in one way it might. But on the other hand, unless those tackles are perfect, then the potential for us to, you know, make it more difficult for the opposition because, or for the opposition to make it more difficult for themselves because they've got yellow cards to contend with, so they can't make tackles, etc., etc. So I remember looking at that thinking, ooh, maybe, but I wasn't expecting <laughs> something like Luke Ayling, uh, that kind of tackle from a really experienced player was just absolutely crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, and I actually thought they might lose completely lose their heads at that moment. Rafinha got himself booked, didn't he? Yeah, the- he was lucky someone pulled him away at the end yeah he was his head was gone i think at that point in time and and i wondered if leeds much completely come apart the seams i mean that tackle stat is interesting i guess they're fighting for their lives right and mm. they're playing with a, an intensity as a consequence but it's a fine fine line they tipped over that edge yesterday and um it cost them because you know, ultimately, well, yeah. we saw that they made us nervous with 10 men. So with 11, it might have been yeah. even even more the case. But yeah, Arsenal, unsurprisingly, then controlled what remained of that first half. And like I say, it was uh, a glorious afternoon at that point. Yeah, it, it felt like a first half of two halves in a way. That once that mm. red card went in and we were settled and we were in control without really um, finding dangerous moments towards the end of that first half. Um, you know, maybe we could have pushed them a little bit, but I suppose the idea was get in at halftime, reassess, see what they're going to do and, and see how we can then use the man advantage to to try and get an extra goal. But it is a rare thing to score two goals that early and have the opposition down to 10 men with an hour to play. But it's also a rare thing to find yourself in the second half in those circumstances to be not clinging on because we weren't clinging on at all. I don't think we were under no. a great deal of stress. I was stress. clinging on. But you were. You were, but in terms of the way the game was going, you know, it's not like Leeds were peppering us with shots or anything like that. It was just the fact that this 
one goal margin thing that we are slightly addicted to as a football team right now uh, means that there's, you know, the potential for something to go wrong uh, can happen really quickly and unexpectedly. And I suppose that's true of of their goal. I mean, do we want to talk about their goal? Um, is there anything else about that second half? When we had chances to, to go ahead, yeah. I think there was a Martinelli one where he put it just over the bar. Um, similar position, I think, from where he scored uh, against Leeds earlier in the season, um, but just lifted it over the bar. There was an Odegaard shot that went just wide. And then... That's right, yeah. They Shaka got- chested it for Martinelli volley on the edge yeah. of the box. Um, and, and, you know, there were a couple of other moments in that first half that I just noted down, which were mm. Martinelli went through after a Shaka through ball, yeah. hit the keeper, Odegaard's free kick from out on the right... Uh, oh, they cleared off the line, yeah. Cleared off the line, yeah. So, I mean, I have to be honest, I didn't really have... I've seen in some commentary like, oh, we really, you know, didn't keep it up in the second half and we weren't very good. I, I, I think I didn't quite see it that way. I thought that we attacked them with decent levels of intensity and we were really looking for extra goals. We just didn't have the finish, I thought. Um, mm. It was only when they scored that I thought you saw kind of, uh, I guess, nerves creep in. Um, And as for their goal, uh, I mean, Sod's Law, really, we've uh, we've heard the players and the manager talking about the set-piece record. I guess it was going to come part eventually, but uh, pretty straightforward goal for them from a a corner. I'm not exactly clear on sort of who's supposed to be picking that man up at the far post. It looked a bit like Shaka to me. I think Shaka got caught with the wrong man. Mm. But it was surprising that there was somebody with that much time and space at the back post, given that there's a zonal element to the way that we we handle things. Yeah. Um, And like a goal out of nothing. Very typically, Arsenal, we've had 400 shots on goal. They've had one. I think they had two touches in our box. And... Both well, they the- cheered the corner like it was a goal. Yeah. I mean, the Leeds fans were in full kind of ironic mode at that point, mm. swinging their um, their T-shirts about the injury to Dallas. Um, that was- so they all had these commemorative yeah. T-shirts handed out. I keep wanting to call him Stuart Dallas, but that's not his name, is it? Um, that's somebody else. It is, is Stuart, Stuart Dallas. Dallas, yeah. Um, they all had T-shirts with his face on. But didn't he get injured trying to absolutely um blast through Jack Grealish wasn't that what happened <laughs> very possibly he's he's uh fractured a femur apparently I mean that's a terrible injury but I think he got it by just smashing into Grealish last week so well there you go but uh, yeah. anyway they were all sort of swinging those above their head you know just trying to make a day of it sort of raging against the dying of the light they got mm. a corner and they honestly went absolutely mad. They were overjoyed with that. Um, and then they promptly scored from it. I'm surprised mm. they didn't end up on the pitch after that. But yeah, of course, it it just changed the complexion of the afternoon. And suddenly mm. um, we all began to fear the impossible might be yeah. possible. Just going back before we talk about this period then, um, when it was suggested that maybe Arsenal took their foot off the the gas a little bit, mm. Mikel Arteta said, I don't think so. It was just trying to play the game that we have to play in that phase. I think we showed a lot of maturity not to rush things and start to concede breaks. We didn't do any of that, but then we didn't find the net in key moments to score the third goal and have a different last 20 minutes. 
And I agree with Mikhail. I, I agree with that too. I do. I absolutely agree with that. And I think part of what made the last 20 minutes so um, nerve-wracking or, or tense was the sense that we as a team were beginning to lose our composure and not do the smart things. And mm. I think when you start seeing Cedric activate cross mode, you sure. know that, that it's like a conduit for our lack of composure where we could keep the ball, where we could keep possession, keep it moving, but no, hang on. I've got a chance to whack in a cross. Here's another cross. Here's another yeah. cross. Here's another cross. I find that aspect of it quite frustrating because as an experienced player, I think he should be one of the more cooler heads, if you like, on the pitch. Um, and I know that... Um, Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff had, or one of the coaching staff had a, a few words with Pepe at the end, but I do hope somebody had a word with, with Cedric too, because I, I really feel like we could have controlled that game much better, even though we were, for the most part, in control. I just, you know, you could sense the nervousness. So at what point did you start to become very antsy? At what part of this, was it directly after the goal? Was it when couple of chances were missed. Um, uh, let me have a look at the the live blog here. I think it was around sixty five. Was it? Um, yeah. I think I I think I was okay until we got into the final 60, ten minutes. Sixty six minutes. Right. Yeah. I think I was okay until we got into the final ten minutes, and even then, you know, I, I was kind of uh, in and out. But it was just it, the closer it got, mm. the more. Agonizing I mean, it we made a change. We did indeed make we, a change. We brought Saka off and put Nicolas Pepe on. I think that was going to happen before the goal yes, went in. Yes, he was ready before they went 2-1. And I, I, I wonder if, in hindsight, like it feels like the kind of change that was being made. Look, it's 2-0, 20-odd minutes to go. We've got a big game on Thursday. Let's rest Saka. We can put Pepe on. It's 2-0. Everything's comfortable. But it's a bit like, was it the Villa game where Pepe came on and we were talking about the difference the between putting Pepe on when you're a goal down and putting Pepe on when you're a goal up? And this was a bit of a goal up Pepe. I mean, he and Cedric do not mix. They're very oil and water, aren't they, on that right-hand side? Um Maybe. I mean, I don't. Who yeah. does Pepe mix with on the right hand side would be my question. Well, we don't know because he doesn't really play anymore. We can't say if it's if it's Tommy Asu because he doesn't really play. Um, no. I, yeah. I, I, I as soon as it went to two one, I I honestly thought I hope they don't make that change. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess. I think part of the sub, yes, it was about giving Saka a rest, but I think it was also about giving Pepe a chance. He's barely figured. But but for what, though? I mean, what, give him a chance for what, exactly? Because we might need a goal at some point. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And for all of his flaws, he's one of the biggest goal threats in the squad. Um, and I think, you know, just wanting to make people feel engaged and mm. part of the group. And I think maybe sitting him down having literally had him in his kit on the sideline with yeah. the board there ready to come off. That's fair, might have actually. Been yeah, yeah. A humiliating experience or chastening one, certainly. I mean, that's the manager's job. I, I wouldn't have had an issue with it, but certainly others would have done. 
Um, but anyway, they proceeded with the change and I don't think it helped us. I mean, I think the, some of the criticism of Pepe not scoring from the halfway line that I've seen, I thought was a little bit harsh. I agree. Um, I agree. You know, I, I he's got agree. a lot to do still in that position. Yeah, I do wonder if he could just, you know, push the ball out and, and continue ball. down the right-hand side yeah. a little bit. Like he didn't... I can see what he was trying to do because I think if he can step inside Dan James there... He's then got a simple pass through to, I think there's two players, um, you know, there's a couple of Leeds players there as well, to be fair, but there's a couple of Arsenal players breaking through also. So I think what he's trying to do is beat the man and then play the pass that would, you know, let somebody run in on goal and stop the ball on the line and head it over while they're kneeling yeah. down for the greatest goal my, that anyone's ever seen. My bigger issue is sort of his general game, to yeah. be honest, uh, you know, and, and the fact that, Junior Firpo had been playing left back for Leeds, had barely had a kick going forward or in our half, and then suddenly there he was running at Cedric, seemingly untracked. Mm. Um, it, it was just a really striking moment of kind of seeing a player who it, it's. I, I, I mean, I've said this about Pepe before, and I've been wrong, but I watched it and thought, like, this just doesn't mm. work. He, he he's he's not part of this. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's right. You know, his lack of participation says more than you or I or anybody ever could. You know, whatever yeah. opinions or hot takes we might have about Nicolas Pepe, the reality is his minutes this season tell the story of of you know his Arsenal career and probably where where it's going to end. And look, I, I I sort of want to move on a little bit from this from the nerves. <clears throat> Because, you know, there are there are things that we should talk about that are important and enjoyable and all the rest of it. But there were some moments in the final couple of minutes where <laughs> did you what what minute did you come back in? Oh, I was in for the end. I saw the flicked header at the near post Oof. that went straight at Ramsdale, thankfully. Oh, and I saw whatever that was in the final moments. With Gabriel. I mean, it was the other end of the pitch for me. So I honestly still don't really know what happened there where Gabriel was kind of holding a guy off was that, yeah was that right? he was and I, oh, uh, I was um i was a little bit worried about that because um yeah it was one of those where you could just see the ball squirt through you know and maybe I remember mustafi in that position yeah exactly Sarah. yeah it, it, um, it had shades of that for me but there were you know like conceding a free kick lacazette coming on and conceding a free kick on halfway that he didn't need to concede which yeah. led to that you know it's just like come on your experience, you don't need to do this. And and I enjoyed this. Um, you know, you might identify with this a little bit, uh, given that you had to take a walk around the concourse. I enjoyed this on Twitter from The Chief, who's at macho underscore grande one. He said, to help my anxiety watching Arsenal, I pause the game during dangerous moments. I'll pause it for one minute or so and then watch in six speed forward. It sounds silly, but the chance Leeds got at the death, I didn't see it. It was just the ball in Ramsdale's hands. No heart-stopping moments for me. <laughs> <laughs> I find that really funny. There have been some great replies on Twitter, actually, that sort of thing. People saying, you know, I, I suddenly find in the last 10 minutes of games, I have the urge to go and do the washing up or, yeah. you know, a guy who said he, he watches on his phone, but then he puts his phone in a desk drawer for a couple of minutes just to help time pass <laughs> and then we'll sneak a glance at it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, everyone's got their coping mechanisms. Yeah, I was like this, having sworn to not watch Liverpool Spurs, 
I attempted to watch that on Saturday night and without exaggeration, um, when the game wasn't going the way I wanted, would just turn the television off for periods of like 10 minutes and try and do something else and think, when I turn it back on, it'll be better. And lo and behold, <laughs> I turned it back on at one point and it was 1-1 uh, rather than 1-0 <laughs> and I was absolutely delighted. So yeah, it's crazy the stuff we... The way in which we think we're kind of uh, <laughs> managing the situation or affecting the outcome in some ways. But, but not. But absolutely not. Yeah. No. Um, look, it is what it is when you've got a one-goal lead and you have a history as a team of, you know, finding ways to shoot yourself in the foot. It's impossible not to be nervous. It really is impossible not to be nervous. And I understand completely why, uh, you know, you went to walk in the concourse. I understand why people would pause the TV. I understand why they might leave the room, do the washing up, take the dog for a walk, whatever little superstition mm. they might have. Like I'm in the ridiculous situation, James, where just after the, what was it? What was the Southampton game? So just after the Southampton game, I I um, shaved my head, right. uh, as I normally do, but I shaved it and I shaved my beard and I shaved my beard completely like I normally just trim it, but I shaved it all off. Okay. I haven't shaved since, head or face. And I'm sitting here today going, you know what, just, just don't shave. Don't shave yeah. before Thursday. And then the other part of me is going, you stupid fucking idiot. It doesn't make any difference whether you shave or not. But I'll feel better if I don't shave, even if yeah. at this point it's now getting like a little bit scratchy and itchy and I wouldn't mind giving it a bit of a trim. I'm not gonna, because who knows? That could be On the difference the between- the fan base, I implore you not to, Andrew. You have to. What if that is the key? What if, what if, I mean, it could be. Who knows what crazy <laughs> shit the universe looks to for- um, validation in terms of how it makes things turn out, you know, this yeah. great big simulation that we live in. But as I said, I think there are other things that we need to touch on. First, simply winning. We had to win. We found a way to win. We won the game. We got three points and we're in a position where if we win on Thursday at White Hart Lane, we've got Champions League football next season, which is, you know, makes it kind of cup final-esque, doesn't it, mm -hmm. on Thursday? And that is a that's a really big thing, a great thing, a very, you know, uh, a great position to be in, not least because we have a, a points margin over them. And we'll talk about that. But I also think there were players that we need to discuss as well. I thought Martin Odegaard was fantastic at times. Some of the yeah. the footwork was amazing. El Nenny, I got pelters a little bit because I said, on the player ratings, and it was maybe a little bit clumsy as I was doing the player ratings quite quickly, that being down to 10 men really suits El Nenny's natural game. And some people say, well, that's a bit of a backhanded compliment. And I accept that. It wasn't quite what I meant, though. I think when you're a player like El Nenny, who's this kind of midfield facilitator slash fulcrum, you know, things go through him. The increased availability that he has when you're playing against 10 men really, really suits him. I thought he was fantastic. I think he's been great since he's come back in. I know there's talk of uh, a new contract being offered this morning as per David Ornstein, and maybe we'll deal with that in part two. But I thought he was really, really good. I also thought Tommy Asu is a player that I, I'm, I feel like we'd be Champions League qualified already if he'd been fit. He is so good. Yeah. He is such a good defender and such a smart footballer as well. 
technically excellent, but his reading of the game, his positioning, he's playing at left back for the first time for Arsenal anyway. He might have played there before in his career, maybe for Bologna. I know he plays left-sided centre-half for Japan, so it's not completely out of his wheelhouse. But my goodness, he looked just <laughs> like a natural there, didn't he? He really did, yeah. Um, he, he was excellent. And it's hard not to have some regrets about the length of his absence. Mm. I mean, our results during his absence were generally pretty good, um, but there were a couple of significant blips in there. Um, I thought he was fantastic. There was a couple of times where Leeds tried to go over the top of him, and I thought, have you ever seen him play before? He's just going to cut that out in the air. Mm. Um he got forward, you know, he combined well. The balance of the left-hand side, I thought, was much better than it was at West Ham. At West Ham, Tavares kind of played on the overlap and Martinelli was more in field. Mm. And in this game, you know, Martinelli and Saka, they kind of, they pinned their man out on the touchline. And frankly, I thought they terrorised Leeds. Um, and, I, and I'll be curious to see how they do against Spurs. I think they're going to be really important weapons in that game, especially if Spurs you know, come on to us and have to try and win it, the, the space they might get on the break. Yeah. I, we've, it's funny, we talked about Tommy Asu and we talked about him coming in at right back and maybe Cedric playing at left back. I don't think we talked very much about this possibility of Tommy Asu um, no. going in at left back, but he did really well. Obviously, he's playing up against Rafinha, who's a left-footed player on the right-hand side. Um. Perhaps uh, it'll be interesting to see where they field him on Thursday, how relative to Son's position that might be. Mm. Um, I don't actually know off the top of my head if Son's playing predominantly more from the... I guess he's playing from the left, but Kulusevsky plays from the right and he's a left footer. Right. So again, if you're, if you're looking... And he's been very dangerous for them. So perhaps they'll be looking at that and thinking he could shut him down. Certainly maybe more so than... Tavares. Mm. Yeah, I thought he was great. Um, Odegaard, sublime at times, a brilliant footballer. That, that move in the first half where he plays, I think he exchanges passes with Saka, Saka yeah. and dummies into the box, lifts it oh. over the defender's leg. Do you oh. know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. And I yeah. think, you know, it was he squared it and I think Eddie was just a little bit behind the ball. It would have been it would have been an amazing goal. And, and actually, yeah. what I love about that move, I saw this happen in real time. I've not seen it back on replay, but every pass basically in that move, Odegaard points where it needs to go before it goes. Oh, really? Yeah. He, he, he He's just so in tune. I was chatting to Clive in the bar afterwards and he was talking about Arsenal having a lot of coaches on the pitch. And I think Odegaard is a real emblem of that and yeah he's he, even when it got to 2-1 you know he's got that captain's armband on but the way that he was kind of talking to teammates and mm. attempting to kind of reassert control in the game um i don't think that armband's coming off him i have to be honest i think i think that i think it might be his yeah this point on. i think you're right i think you're right to be honest. i'm just looking uh, i'm going to look at this a little bit again that you're talking about is this yeah thing? do by all means and I, uh, while you find it I'll just a quick word for Hamid Elneny who I thought was Arsenal's maybe Arsenal's best player yesterday um, and his use of the ball was very good uh, you know he's often criticised for not looking forward but there's some good forward passes but it was his intensity off the ball 
that I liked as well. He's so quick into challenges, winning it back, snatching up any interceptions. Um, his role in replacing Thomas Partey has been massive mm. and should not be underestimated. Yeah, he's been... Ooh, ooh. Yeah, I just saw the the tackle on um, Martinelli there. I've gone a little bit too far ahead of this uh, this moment where I'm trying to find it. Yeah, Arteta thought it was going to be in. Here it is. Yeah, he's pointing to Cedric. He points to Cedric, and then I think he points to Saka as well. But yeah, yeah. points to Saka. Doink. It's like it he is. sees oh. it all in his head, you know, and oh. and that's the kind of player he is. And some of his there was one moment in the second half out on the right touchline where. You know, kind of, I forget, it was a piece of skill that just mm. drew gasps from the fans. Yeah, um, late on, I think it was just quick feet, yeah. quick feet. There was a clip doing the rounds um, on the last international break. He did something similar uh, yes. for Norway. And it You're was right. that kind of thing where he's just sort of tormenting a defender. I think there might have been a nutmeg or two in there or whatever. But yeah, I mean, he was fantastic. And just sort of overall, I, I, I think when we're talking about the games at this point of the season, it is about winning. It's about the result far more than uh, the performance. We can talk about how terrified we were, but ultimately we can sit here this morning and enjoy the fact that we got the result that we needed to get. Um, and that's why I just felt maybe um, we need to focus on on some of the good things. Because I, I, I think another aspect of this, James, is that that fear that we've talked about and that, that tension that we have because of the ability that as a team, as a club, we've had of in moments like this, whether they're high pressure or whatever, these self-inflicted wounds that we um, that were quite commonplace, they're not as commonplace anymore. Like this is a team no. that's capable of grinding results. Like maybe you shouldn't have to grind against 10 men at home on a sunny day, you know, when you're 2-0 up after 10 minutes. Maybe you shouldn't, but football is not quite as black and white as that. Sometimes you do. And that's what we've, uh, that's what we had to do yesterday. We did it. We got the three points and, and to be in this position is, is just fantastic. Yeah. And I think we carry more scars than the players do, to be honest. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and it's interesting. I heard, um, you know, you make that point of a win is a win and that's what we needed to do. And I think that was really emphasized in the dressing room after the game. You know, I think there were some, as there always are, recriminations and, you know, people feeling like, why didn't we do this better? Why didn't we do that better? And I think the management team really wanted to assert, look, we got the job done. That's what we need at this stage of the season. There'll be a time and a place. And I'm sure that will happen in the next few days to mm. kind of analyse things more deeply. But let's not disrupt this positive momentum that we're building going into Thursday. Mm. And even then, the, this message, you remember we talked about what Mikel Arteta said after the Leicester game, um, when we when we started to think that something was really happening with this team. Yeah. I think that was the game, certainly in my mind. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe the North London derby was one of them, but, but that Leicester game away from home was when I started to think that something was going on, that mm -hmm. something was developing. And he said well done, it was great, but we've done nothing yet. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been his message throughout the throughout the season. And even yesterday when he was asked about the mood in the dressing room, he said, really good, really positive, but at the same time, really humble. We know that nothing has been achieved yet and there's still a lot of things and a lot of minutes to play to do what we want uh, to achieve. So that 
clarity, that consistency of message, I think is is an important aspect of of what's happening and where we are. And like, I think we're more nervous, as you say, we're more nervous than the players are. They're probably thinking about Thursday. Wow, what a chance! What a fucking brilliant thing this is going to be. Go to White Hart Lane, win the game, celebrate getting into the top four at their expense. On their I'm ground. Sure, I'm not sure that many of these players have played in a game this big. No. No. I mean, when you consider the age of most of them, you know, they've played in derbies, but I don't think there's been a derby with so much resting on it for quite some time. No, I agree. And I think I was sort of trying to contextualize it yesterday. I, I think some people will balk at this because, you know, there is a feeling that, you know, Champions League qualification isn't a trophy and fourth shouldn't be the height of our ambitions. And I completely accept all of that. But I do think that this feels as big as some cup finals in some ways. For me, it does anyway. No, For I, me, it does. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And I, you know, it's one of the unfortunate things that you have to, not you personally, but in general, sort of caveat and quantify or qualify, you know, things about football where, you know, if you say, wow, getting into fourth, fuck, this would be brilliant to get into the top four this season. And immediately there's all the, well, nobody wanted, nobody was happy with top four a few years ago under Arsene Wenger or, you know, oh, we used to win the title. You've got no ambition. You've got no standards or whatever it is. You know, this is not who Arsene... But, like, it's ridiculous because we are starting a new cycle, if you like. We've we've uh, experienced peaks and troughs um, of success as a football club, and we've gone through a fairly troughy trough, and we're now heading back, hopefully, towards, towards a peak. And I think it is unfortunate that you... Being excited about finishing in the top four this season is dismissed by some as nothing much or irrelevant when the reality is it's a really big season for this team, for this club, for its development and everything else. Um, so I'm with you. I think it's a huge, huge game on Thursday. And it's Spurs, Andrew. Yeah, Do you know exactly. what I mean? Like that adds a whole other layer to this. Yeah, it really does. Um, it really does. And, and if, 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 you know, if Arsenal go to Spurs and beat them at mm. White Hart Lane and secure Champions League qualification in the process, that will be uh, remembered for many, 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 many years. Let me say this. If Arsenal go to White Hart Lane and beat Spurs on Thursday and qualify for the Champions League at their expense and you're out there and you're not happy with that, find something new. <laughs> find something yeah. new to to take up your time, a new hobby, whatever it might be. Because if you're not happy with that, then there's something wrong with you. Um, yeah. I can't imagine that people won't be. I mean, it, yeah. you know, it would be fantastic and hilarious. And and I think we'll talk about this more, no doubt, in part two, but the four-point cushion that we have built and the possibility of ending it on Thursday, I think is such a psychological boost yeah i think we go into that game now with more to gain than to lose in some respects and i think that will be hugely helpful and there's a huge onus on tottenham to come out and win that match now Mm. uh which applies a lot of pressure 
So, yeah, I feel I feel much better about it having got that that little cushion sure. in the bag. You know, you're 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 um, talking about it got me nervous, and I'm actually doing the equivalent of walking around the concourse. I'm standing up, pacing around my office while you were talking there. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I couldn't really <laughs> sleep last night thinking about it. I was it's going to really dominate oh, uh, everything. For the I, next I, I think so. Um, and look, we will talk more about that in part two. Just before we go into part two, I suppose we should just say um, unlucky to the Arsenal women yesterday who who did what they needed to do against West yeah. Ham and it did look quite good for a while with Manchester United um, leading. Winning at half time, weren't they? Yeah, they were leading Chelsea and uh, yeah, to miss out on the title by such a small margin is, is, um, is a tough one. Manchester United, you know, at every level of their football club are a fucking disgrace, uh, it seems. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, bad luck to Jonas Eideval and the, the Arsenal women. Um, but I think probably a season from which they can take plenty of positives um, and look to develop again next season. I think he's had a, a good first season at the club. Um, and I'm sure Tim will be putting together a a podcast, an Arsenal Women Arsecast uh, to go over the season, season review stuff and what have you. But just thought it was worth mentioning uh, at the end, given that I was watching that game before before our game. So Yeah, um, it was shown in the stadium as well, mm. shown on the on the concourses. So there was plenty of fans around watching that mm. pre-match. And yeah, would have really set the seal on the day had, had they managed to win the title. But mm. they did their job. Ultimately, it was kind of out of their hands. They yeah. reflect on certainly that defeat to Birmingham and maybe one or two other results to draw with Spurs. But yeah, it's, um, it's a shame, but you know, Jonas got his new contract already. And I think that was a testament to the work that he's undertaken and the belief the club have in him. Mm. So they'll be hoping to attack next season and, get that title back because I think it's three in a row now for Chelsea. Right. Okay. We've got to put an end to that nonsense. Uh, mm. All right. Okay. We will take a break right here. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Uh, you can sign up if you like, patreon.com forward slash 
Arse blog. Before we get on with the questions that people have sent in, James, it's quite interesting that there hasn't been a single question, as far as I can see anyway, either on the Discord or on Twitter. Apologies if I've missed it and you sent this in, but Mikel Arteta signed a new contract. You mentioned Jonas Eideval signing a new contract as well. Fairly significant news, if not necessarily a mm. big surprise or anything like that. But uh, it would be remiss of us not to to mention it. I think. Um, so I think had we lost, there might have been a few questions. <laughs> I, th- I think so. I, no, I think yeah, it was I mean, only Friday, wasn't it? It feels like a long time. It ago. does it feel like ages ago. Yeah. So I mean, just your your thoughts on on that? Maybe the timing of it. What did you see as uh, in any way significant? The timing. Um, I, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's a good move. I think we're going places, and you can understand why when a manager's got a year left on his contract that you look to um, secure him. I think is the right way of putting it. Um, as you continue the the project, if you like. Yeah, I think it, it's a perfectly logical step, um, and I think sometimes I think we sort of worry too much about managerial contracts because. If it ain't working, believe you me, that contract's going to be ripped up. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how long the deal is. If you lose 10 games on the spin, you're probably out the door. Um, and so I think sometimes there's a little bit too much angst. But I think Arteta absolutely, yeah, for me, he deserves it. I think he was always going to get it, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, I think it would have taken something pretty spectacularly bad for the club to lose faith in him. They really do believe in him I think he is the guy for them um I think the timing was good in that they must have but there must have been points earlier in the season I suspect where they thought should we do it now like uh you know when we were on a a pretty good run before Christmas I'm sure it was discussed or maybe even when we won kind of six games on the spin or whatever it might have been before those three defeats I I, I imagine there was probably chat of like this might be an appropriate time to push ahead and get that contract signed and sealed. Um, but I think this is, was as good a time as any in terms of the fact that it came off the back of some very good results, came prior to the end of the season. So it was a, a commendation of his work, regardless of kind of what happens in these final few games. Do you think... And, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and also maybe it, it might be negligible, but I think any little boost to morale, feel-good factor, mm. belief that it can provide, I think at this stage of the season, any boost is welcome. Do you think that maybe European qualification being secured played a part in in the announcement? Because for all the belief and everything else, if Arsenal had finished this season outside Europe again, it would be reasonable to, to think, okay, well, look, he's had a good chance. He's been given a lot of money, but the baseline hasn't been achieved. So maybe we, we need to think about doing something a little bit different. And, you know, it came not long after we did have top six absolutely secured. Mm. Um, so do you think that played a part or? I think it helped in terms of sort of how the announcement was received. Mm. I mean, I've said this before and people uh, did the internet version of whatever a gasp is. Um but I think there was definitely a scenario where Arteta could have finished outside of the top six and still got a new contract. I I really firmly believe that. Um, it would have depended how and why, but I think that is the depth of belief in him that exists. Um, 
But I think definitely it helped in terms of kind of how the news was received. And maybe it was a factor in what made them think about the timing Mm. of that announcement. I mean, certainly, I don't think it was anything as practical as um, sort of a contractual thing. I think there are there were things in Arteta's contract relating to European qualification, but they were sort of more mm. in terms of reward and uplift and bonuses and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's a statement of faith. And I think what the club has done, in my opinion, better this season is kind of communicate through actions rather than words. So, for example, the transfer policy last summer, they never came out at the start and said, this is what we're doing. They just did it. They bought six players under the age of 23. Mm. And those actions told a story about where this club is going and what they're trying to do. And I think similarly with Arteta, tying him into a new deal and making him the figurehead of this project, you know, it fits as part of that story and part of that project. And so I think um, I think it was the right step. And I think, I do think he deserves it. I really do. I, I think... I think we have to take a step back and look at the results that we've achieved in the last few weeks and look at the players that we're missing and some of the players we're fielding. I mean, if I had told anybody, yeah, Arsenal will be within potentially 90 minutes of the Champions League, but we'll be having to regularly start Rob Holding, Cedric Suarez, Mohamed Elneny and Eddie Nketiah. I think a few people would have been pretty surprised by that. You're crazy, James. That's what they <laughs> said. You're, cr- you're loco. But you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, I know what you mean. Yeah performances from this group that I'm not convinced everybody could so I think that's fair I mean it's it's um it's been maybe a criticism that he hasn't necessarily got the best out of some of the players that he could have but he certainly we're greater than the sum of our parts right now if that makes sense yeah some like of the if, players. if you look at it one to eleven um with the eleven that we're actually fielding and we pip spurs I think we've I think we've done really well, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I was pleased to see it done, and I think uh, pleased to see it settled. Were you sort of of a similar? Yeah, mind yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say, you know, I've had my doubts along the way, but I've always liked what he said about what he wants to do. It was whether or not he could execute that. You know what I mean? Um, so I like the team. That's a big part of this for me is is liking the team and and I think there are developments in the way that we're playing football. Like you're beginning to hear, um, I think you mentioned earlier some gasps from the stadium when Odegaard did um, what he did, but there were some passages of play as well that were very, you know, popping the ball around and then breaking into space, and mm. it feels. It feels a bit more Arsenal. I know that's not simply our domain, but I think there has been a yearning, if you like, for an attractiveness to the way that we play that hasn't been present for quite a while. And I think we're beginning to see aspects of that too. And the fact that we are, as you say, within 90 minutes of making next season's Champions League really is a testament to the way this season has gone and the work that the manager has done. If there's been criticism for some of the things that have happened, you can't look at this situation and say, well, you know, uh, and not give credit where it's due, you know? So Yeah, and look, nobody's saying he's perfect. I mean, it's always no. a, there's a there's a balance and a, a weighing up to be done. And Arsenal have weighed that up and they've... 
you yeah. know, they've determined that this is the the right step for them. And I, I personally, I'm inclined to agree. No, I, 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 I do too. And I, you know, as everything, it's not black and white. And unfortunately, so much of football discourse these days is either one thing or the other. You have to be a binary. Or, you know, if you're, if you like a lot of what Arteta is doing, you're some kind of, you know, it's, it's like the, the, the way it used to be divisive under Wenger. Like, you know, you could really like some of the stuff he did, but not like some of the other stuff, mm. but you weren't, you didn't have to be Wenger in or Wenger out all the way, you know? Yeah. It's yeah, just it's the same. It's the same. You yeah. don't have to be um, an acolyte or an abuser. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know, you, you can make a, a continued evolving assessment based on what you see. Mm. But but I listened to the preview pod you did on Patreon with Lewis. And mm. He articulated something that I've been thinking for some time, which is and which I could not get away from in that first forty five minutes, which was that this is a happy club. Yeah. So happy club. And I think the manager's played a big part in that. And that's good enough for me, actually. Like, I, I want to win things. But for now, um, it being a positive, happy place feels like a big step forward. Mm. Okay, well, s- speaking of feel good, before we get into the more terrifying aspects of what's coming up this week and questions about sure. that, uh, Luke Kempner says... Uh, it was so special hearing uh, North London Forever, The Angel, um, the song that was doing the rounds uh, last week and played at the stadium. Uh, do you think it's all too manufactured to be our uh, You'll Never Walk Alone? I don't. I absolutely loved it and really hope it's here to stay. And on the Discord, there was a question about it as well from Jamie, who said, thoughts on the song? Do you think they'll keep it for more games? From the stands, it was pretty good to start, but definitely could be improved. But hey, you can't build a tradition if you don't start it. Yeah. I mean, I put a video up on Twitter of where I was stood mm. in the North Bank and um, I knew it was happening. I'd seen the tweets, you know, before the game about it's going to be played during the huddle and the players clearly had been briefed because they sort of, you know, uh, timed their huddle accordingly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was positively surprised by how many people took it up. Because, you know, when something's like an online thing, you never know how that's going to translate. Um, But around me anyway, in the North Bank, there was a lot of people joining in. Mm. Um, I think from what I hear anecdotally, there were some parts of the stadium where that wasn't the case and people were a bit bemused and like, what's happening here? Um, But that's teething, you know, that's part of the process. I loved it, I've got to say. I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm on board. You know, I was supportive of it when it was generating momentum online. It, it's as organic as things get in the Premier League these days, which is admittedly not very, <laughs> but it's certainly more organic than plonking the wonder of you on us or yeah. Sweet Caroline. This at least has come from the fans, written by a fan not even intended for this purpose, you know. That's one, I think, one of the magic magical things about it. Yeah. That it's kind of happened quite naturally. And, yeah, I, I found it quite uh, stirring. But if the internet's taught me anything, it's that, you know, you can't please everybody. Well, that's true. I mean, some people will hate it. Some people will love it. I thought it sounded great in the stadium. How did it come across on TV? Yeah, it it sounded good. It sounded good. A bit like what you're saying, that not everybody quite knew what it was or why it was being played. uh, Because 
you're right to say that not everything that happens online connects with people in real life. Sometimes we get caught in these little bubbles and think that because something has blown up on Twitter, everyone in the world knows about it, when in reality it's a very small percentage of of, uh, of the people that actually exist and go to games. You know, a lot of the 60,000 people in that stadium don't listen to podcasts, if you can imagine such a thing, or they don't uh, spend all day on Twitter, you know? So it might take a little while to catch on, but I thought it really... Um, I was interested to see what happened... Um, when the song was coming to its uh, conclusion, if you like, and what that generated in terms of atmosphere in the stadium. And I think that part of it was really good, that the song came, there was sort of applause, and then it was like, yes, let's let's do yeah, this. Yeah, kind of like the, the minute silence effect. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that eruption yeah. of noise you get after something. Yeah. Um, Can I ask I, you? I, yeah, I... I I thought it really worked. I think they re- they probably have to stick the words up on a big screen. I would. I, would I think. was going to ask you that. You know, yeah. were the words on the screens? Maybe the the no. new screens that they're getting in over the summer. Um, you know, they might be able to do that. I mean, a, a, um, a hymn sheet <laughs> on the seat of every pew in the stadium uh, might be one way of doing it. But um, the words of the song um, are perhaps a little fruity. Uh, you know, certainly yeah, they, in the build-up. They, they, was there a reworked version? Uh, they censored it. So certain lyrics to the verse basically dropped out. Um, ah, okay. Okay. I actually think, if we want to get really technical about this, that um, I love the original track and I'm really not proposing much about it. It's changed. But given that some of the lyrics are kind of not viable in a family setting i think that the the verse could potentially be compressed because it's quite a long lead up into the chorus and i'm just not sure that between the teams getting out on the pitch and the kickoff happening there's enough time for that to sort of naturally yeah happen i mean but they- i'm sure all that can be dealt with and you know overlay it with a nice compilation video of fans and players and stick the lyrics on the screen i think it could absolutely take off and and the biggest compliment I can give it is that I was chatting to someone who was working at the stadium yesterday who's not an Arsenal fan. And they said, uh, oh, they said, uh, the, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. Wow. And I was like, okay. Well, that's what that's what we want. Do you know what I mean? Like, and if someone who's not who's a neutral, maybe that maybe that's less valuable. But I to me, that was kind of more valuable because I was like, they were sort of, you know, they felt something there, mm. um, which I think shows that, I don't know, something was happening. Something was going It's on. part of the the feel-good story of this season. It's just like Amazon must be fucking having a great laugh at all this. I don't mean like laughing um, in a bad way. They just probably can't believe all the stuff that has happened for a season that's going to be played out in docu-series format in a few months' time. Um, yeah, I mean, that song is featuring in the final episode of the series. There's no doubt about that. No. And I just hope it's over um, glorious celebratory scenes, not, you know, ones of pathos sure. and oh so nearly. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, well, look, um, yeah, let's keep fingers crossed for the former, obviously. Uh, your question, let's let's give it a bash. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Um <laughs> Okay, let's have a look. I mean, there are (laughs) 
lots of questions about the Tottenham game. Mm-hmm. Um, there are. So if you want to go there? Let's go yeah, there. Yeah, let's let's do it. Hang on. Um, let's have this one. Rob Gooner, goodly morning. How do we approach the game on Thursday? Spurs need to win, but shit when they have most of the possession and can't use their only weapon counterattacks. Do we sit back and frustrate them and try to counterattack ourselves? I feel like taking to the game the game to them will leave us exposed. I don't want us to just defend either. Thoughts? Mm. And then Manuel on Twitter said, is it too negative to suggest we should look to avoid defeat first and foremost versus Spurs? We all want to win, but is the risk of being exposed and conceding early-ish too much, especially with how unsettled we still seem at the back? Yeah, I think that's... We would be foolish, wouldn't we, to go there and really take the game to them in an open fashion because... That's where they're really good. Plays their strengths. I mean, they were good against Liverpool. Mm. They packed the, the centre of the pitch. They had five defenders. We talked about Cedric slinging crosses in. I mean, it happens to the best of them. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold must have crossed the ball about 40 times in, in the space of the game. Mm. Liverpool, without exaggeration, slung in about 50 crosses um, and got nowhere with it, really. Mm. And Spurs were devastating on the counter-attack when they needed to be. Uh, as they are. I mean, their front three is is excellent. If we had... Well, if we had that front three to select from, I think fourth would be ours some time ago. Sure. So, where do you, how do you find the balance? That's, well, that's can the you real... play for a draw in football? It's a very tricky thing to do, isn't it? I, I mean... Um, not, no, I mean, I think it is potentially uh, one of the... I'm not going to say it's easy, but one of the less complicated things to do in football. Do you think? In that, if you want to grind a nil-nil, you could probably, you could probably do it. You know, unless there's a huge gap in quality between the two teams. You know what I mean? If you've got yeah, two, I guess so, yeah. If you like, if That's it's right. if you're down. Norwich, what have you been trying to do most of the season? Avoid defeat. You can't do it because your team's not good enough. But I think if you're, let's say, and I know this isn't the way that they play, um, but if you were to say a Man City or a Chelsea, um, if they needed to win a game nil-nil, mm. if you like, you you would probably think they could do it because they're organized enough, they're they're smart enough, intelligent enough, and well coached to be well, able to Klopp's do that. this was point. I don't know if yeah. you saw his interview, but he said of Spurs, yeah, he was very frustrated, obviously, but he basically said, yeah, I mean, if you take world-class players and ask them to just sit behind the ball and intercept everything and stop you scoring, mm. it's pretty effective. Yeah. Um, I mean, so a draw, let's, let's talk it through. So a win is done. We win at Spurs, it's over. Finito. I can sleep at night. Yeah. We can a all draw. enjoy the last two games of the season. A draw. A draw, and we wouldn't require one win from our remaining two games. Mm-hmm. Which are Newcastle away and Everton at home. Mm-hmm. And defeat, of course, would mean that if Spurs were to pick up maximum points in their final two games, which do look quite presentable. We'd uh, have to win March. our two games. We would have to win our, our two. Yeah. Oh, I'm beginning to I mean, it's unbelievable, sick. isn't it? it <laughs> I really feel like, again, talking about it like a cup final, 
I do feel like it is kind of winner takes all here. I, I do think, I think whoever wins this game will do it. I mean, obviously, if we win it, we'll do it. But I think if they win, they may well do it. Um. So uh, th- that brings us back to the approach. Yeah. How we play, what way we set up, who we pick in key positions. I know we've got maybe an injury worry or two. Um, I think, um, well, there was a few questions about the defense and yeah. the fullbacks. Let me, any- yeah, I've got one. Uh, let me see here. Um, on the Discord, Patrick Curris says, how would you handle a fullback situation for the Spurs game? Son and Kulisevsky could cause a lot of trouble if we don't pick our fullbacks correctly for the game. Uh, John Craven says, uh, does Tommy Asu move across to right back on Thursday? And if so, is Cedric moved across to left back or Tavares brought in? And I have seen people, oh yeah, I have a question right here. Um, M.M. Walton, 13 on the Discord, would you play Ben White at right back and leave Holding at centre back for the North London Derby? which I assume would mean Tommy Asu staying at left back. Yeah, that's what Clive said to me he would do last night. And Amy Lawrence said the same to me this morning. Um, and they know a thing or two. I've, I've got a lot of time for that idea. Yeah, I have to you say. mean the Ben White at right ben back? Ben White at right back. Yeah. Keep Rob Holding in. Uh, possibly Tommy Asu at left back. Yeah. I, I think that there are four best defenders. And I think... White. available defenders yeah yeah and I think White and Tomiyasu are good enough footballers mm. sorry hang on I'm just a, a laundry uh, rack just fell down okay just by um, by magic yeah. hopefully it's not an omen um, but they yeah I think White and Tomiyasu are good enough footballers to sort of contribute from the fullback role mm. Um I have heard some chat, some suggestion that it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Arsenal will play a five at Spurs. Um, quite what that would be and what it would look like, I'm not sure. Mm. But I think there's the possibility of White holding and Gabriel starting as the three as well. White um, holding and Gabriel as the three. Yeah. So and that would... Give like, you I don't know, maybe Tommy Asu on one side and maybe Saka on the Saka other. Something on the like other. That. that could be quite interesting because then you could have Smith Rowe, Odegaard, Martinelli as well. Well, you probably have Smith to have Shaka and El Nenny, I yeah. think. And then I guess, yeah, Odegaard would play and Ketty would probably play and then one off. Mm. I, think that's it. I think that's in their thoughts too. Do you think there's any outside possibility that we could have a surprise midfield return for this game? I haven't heard that, I have to say. But wouldn't that be precisely how it would go down? Well, yeah, true. Here's the thing. I mean, Ben White's a risk, but if you're ever going to take a risk, isn't it now? I mean, it, it's it's a calculated one because you could say if Ben White is a risk for Thursday, but probably going to be okay for well, if he's a risk for Thursday, he's also a risk for for Monday, isn't he? Yeah, That's I mean, the next game. What I understand is he's got a tight hamstring. Yeah, um, he could tear that in the next few weeks. 
Um, but I think it's a risk that he's prepared to take, basically. And that, the, I, I, I mean, it remains to be seen if the club are prepared to take it, but I think they will. Because, mm. you know, it's not like it's a tournament summer or anything like that. Um, I think that I think Thursday's big enough that he'll be out there. But mm. I have, I'm curious, the, the defensive thing, I mean... Here's two things I think won't happen. I don't think Tavares will play as left back in a four. No. I think no there's chance. a chance he would play in a five. Even then, I'm not sure. And I, and I don't think Cedric will start. I, I just think White will come in for him um, in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I mean, I'd be perfectly on board with that. Um, mm. I mean, if... But if it I sounds was... quite defensive, doesn't it? I mean, are we talking ourselves into this grinding out a draw thing here? Um, I Look, it might sound defensive, but I think we have been caught more than once under Mikel Arteta playing Tottenham in a way which exacerbates their strength. And I feel yeah. like it's about Having time. All the ball. Yeah, it's about time we learned that lesson. And if we have to slightly modify our game plan to, yeah, to to weaken them or to make them less strong, I mean they're a great team on the counter attack. So why let them have the opportunity to counter attack? I mean you can't stop it completely. If we get a corner, you know. But just don't be open and leave space for players who can really hurt you in those areas. Um, I think um, the team that he picks will be very similar to the one against Chelsea. Um, where against Chelsea, he, he picked White holding in Gabriel. And I think... Initially, he started with a three at the back and Saka was mm. right wing back. And then he changed it in game and White went out to right back and Saka pushed on. I think he'll pick an 11 players that give him that sort of flexibility. Um, and I think it will involve right, White being on the right flank in some in some way, shape or form. Mm. Um, but yeah, it'll be fascinating. And I, I mean, would you take a draw? You I have mean, to, don't you? it's one of those where you're like, well, it wouldn't be a bad result. I mean, I much prefer, I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, would I take a draw? I mean, I suppose so. When one of the alternatives is so horrendous, I can't even begin to think about it. <laughs> you know? Sure. It's already making me itchy. Um I mean, there's so much at stake and so much going into the game, so much emotion. We forget that for them, you know, there's this huge thing of their anger at the postponement, which also feeds into this fixture. Um, How do you think they will be viewing this game? Because, you know, we're nervous, right? Because there's a lot at stake for us if we win we know what the reward is if we draw it's still very much in our hands and even if we lose it's still in our hands but for them this is 
literally it. Do or die. Do or die. So, I mean, do you think that might be, that might play a part in the way they approach the game? Yeah, I think I think it will. I mean, I think it has to. I think it's a big, I think Arsenal have the psychological advantage here, massively, mm. because Spurs know they have to win. And even if they win, it's not guaranteed. Um, and I think, you know, they got a decent result against Liverpool, but it wasn't a result that changed a great deal as regards the race for the top four. Which was really absent from the commentary, by the way. I was watching it on TV and they were all like, what a result for Spurs. But for Spurs, it didn't change that much. It meant that Arsenal still had to slip up twice, essentially, yeah. in what remained. Um, Andrew, it's so difficult to call this. Any Derby game is difficult, but there's just so much going into this mm. one. Obviously, if it was at the Emirates Stadium, I think I'd feel a lot more confident. Um we're going away into a stadium that's going to be a bit, a bit of a cauldron, you imagine. Mm. But maybe for these players, having that prize of ending it then and there is a much healthier approach. You know, in much the same way that kind of aiming for third is uh, better than hanging on for four. Yeah. I do think that knowing they're going... So going there knowing if we win, we've done it and we're yeah. heroes. I do feel like that might suit the character of this team more than going there with trying to protect something. No, you know? I, I agree. I agree. But I think there also has to be an acknowledgement or a common sense approach to the opposition and yeah. what way they play and what how are they as good as they can be. Let's make sure that we don't allow them many opportunities to exploit yeah. space. We can't pour forward against exactly. them, that's for sure. Exactly. We just can't. So, um, look, the other thing is we have won big games against big opposition before with that slightly, if you want to call it defensive system, you think about the the um, the FA Cup semi-final and final. And I know that was very much, a part of that was the players that we had available um, at that time. That formation was how Mikel Arteta, you know, decided this was the way he could get the best out of them. But I also think, going back to what you mentioned earlier on, that this is an Arsenal team, probably without Thomas Partey, um, you know, with some injury worries here and there, with Rob Holding, Mohamed Elneny, Eddie Nketiah, Cedric, who, you know, won't probably play. Uh, nevertheless, he might have to cut his cloth a little bit when it comes to to his approach for this game. But I, I think I need to move on from this because I'm already getting worked up. And we do have a preview podcast to do later in the week. So no doubt we'll go over all this again. Just before we go off this particular topic, though, a lot of people asking um, if we have coping mechanisms. BF Jesus on the um, Discord says, uh, Goodly morning. Any favorite Derby stress management uh, strategies? Uh, strategies Feels like Thursday might be the end of me. Garza and Sajak both ask, what drugs do you recommend? men to survive Thursday and poorly drawn Arsenal at can't draw Arsenal he said I googled how long can a human hold their breath and it seems the average is one to two minutes this seems to be an issue with Thursday's match lasting 90 minutes any recommendations <laughs> for oxygen tanks and you my friend are not going to be able to 
slip off into the concourse <laughs> on Thursday, given that you're working. So how are you going to cope? I honestly don't know. A hip flask, maybe? I mean, <laughs> I'm in the press box, so you're right. I will be duty-bound to remain yeah. in my seat. And I guess I will hope that sort of the fact that I'm working will apply a kind of a, a more objective lens, but I know that that's killing myself. <laughs> I'm going to be an absolute mess. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've I've never been to that stadium. I've avoided it thus far. And I've drawn the short straw this time. Right. And I will be there. The only thing I can say is that if if it goes our way and the brilliant thing happens, mm. then uh, I'll be finishing my write up that night and going straight out on the town, I should imagine. Um, Watch out the, the other West End. Seven Sisters Road for a few <laughs> celebratory drinks, I yeah. think. Yeah, get into the right part of town. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do think that... I've said this earlier, but if it comes off, if the good thing happens, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, St. Totteringham's Day at White Hart Lane with Champions League football in the bag, it's tantalising how brilliant that could be. Mm. But equally, I mean, we've always said we don't want a cup final against Spurs because it's too stressful. Yeah. And now we've got one, basically. A cup final with a number of prizes, like three cups on the line. You know, Champions League, as you say, St. Totteringham's Day and doing it there. And, f- you know, potentially, fingers crossed, feeding off the misery of, of their fans. Like, it's all there for us. Um, I just hope the pressure gets them, you know. Remember yeah. when they were going for the league and then they just completely fell apart at Stamford Bridge? Oh, uh, that was amazing, actually. That I'd really was to amazing. like that. Hmm. Can but hope. Fingers crossed. Let's talk about something else, Andrew, because mm. I feel sick. <laughs> I also feel sick. So, yes, let's talk about something else. Uh, Chills on the Discord says, I am convinced that we should extend Mohamed Elmeni. What are your reasons, if any, for us not to re-sign him? Every team needs players like him and Holding as much as they need the star players. Happy to sit on the bench and ready to contribute in any way possible. Yeah, I said it a couple of weeks ago, I would extend him. And I... Stand by it. And, mm. you know, David's reported this morning, talks are underway. I shouldn't imagine those talks will be especially difficult given what Elneny said publicly. Um, so I think they'll come to an agreement and I think it's deserved. I don't think that that means you don't go out and sign a midfield player in the summer. I thought it was interesting in, in the very same piece, you know, David touted the name of Yuri Tielemans mm. as, as well. Uh, I think there is a lot. There is some some fire beneath all that smoke, for sure. He's right. very much liked. Um, and, and so, you know, why not? If you can improve and you can keep depth and experience, I think that's a good thing. I mean, ultimately, Arteta said, "I want twenty-two outfield players and three goalkeepers." As we mentioned here the mm. other week, I don't think all of there's only so much we can do in any summer. And I think given the high ticket prices of some of the players we're probably looking at in this window, I'm thinking of the forwards potentially, I think you have to be sensible in your squad building decisions. And I think Elneny's a perfectly sensible signing. I think that's that's almost exactly the right word for it. Yeah, I, it makes sense. Like you say, it doesn't mean we can't and shouldn't sign another midfield player, but potentially if loan players leave, if players at the end of their contracts leave, 
you know, we could be down to sort of 14, 16 outfield players. Yeah. And that's a lot of recruitment to do in a summer where you want 22 outfield players and one or two of those signings have got to be relatively stellar or they're going to be, yeah, premium. They're going to cost you because of the positions uh, that you're looking to fill. So I think it makes a lot of sense. There was a great tweet thread from uh, Gilles, who's at underscore Grimondi tweets. I don't know if you've seen this, and it's Elmeni doing an interview, I think maybe with Egyptian TV or something. And he's basically telling the story. He said when he uh, finished his loan deal last season, the club said, you're not in the plans. Um, told his agent, you got to find another club. He said to his agent, well, uh, okay, let's look around, see what's there. And then he said, the club decided that I should go back for preseason, but remember, Arteta had me outside of his plan. I trained well and played uh, the first friendly game, scored a goal from the halfway line. And then he said, Arteta started to see. When he gives instructions, I know what he wants. I can read his plan and I execute it to the letter. Any instructions, I swear, I execute it to the letter. And I think you've got to give a guy credit for, and, you know, I think we probably had discussions more than once on this podcast, not just last year, but maybe the year before, saying, well, that's probably it for Elneny. He'll go in the summer. You know, he's done his job, but, like, we got to move on, et cetera, et cetera. So not only was he, I don't want to say the word written off. I don't think that's quite right. But a decision had been made by the club about his future, um, and he's come back from that. And a lot of players would be like, well, you told me to go, so I'll go. That's it. Mm. Or if I'm, you know, if I'm not being used, then, you know, uh, yeah, it's easy for a player to get demotivated, should, uh, which is what I'm trying to say. But he's kept going and he's worked hard and he's come in and he's been absolutely fantastic in the last few weeks. And I he think has. he deserves a lot of credit for his performances, for his attitude, for his professionalism. And for his ability to carry out Mikel Arteta's instructions to the letter. Um, and I think he is one of those players that a manager, you know, when you start to see that, um, I'd say it's pretty useful to have around. That that level of trust in a player. And also, I think his age is a factor. In that you do need, as much as we've gone young and we're rebuilding and we're we're trying to grow a team together, you do need some older heads around. Um, and the fact that he can couple that experience with an ability to play the game the way Mikel Arteta wants it to be played, um, I think he's he's been, in some ways, the perfect player for the situation we found ourselves in in the last month or two. You know what I mean? Mm. Like... You need a level of consistency or dependability at this part of the season. And if nothing else, that's what he gives you. I mean, he's, what is it that we always say? Like, he's never going to be a 10 out of 10 player, but he'll give you consistency like 7 out of 10, 7 out of 10, 7 out of 10, 7, you know, that reliability, I think, when you're in a position where you need results more than anything, he really fits that bill. Yeah, and I think for the type of manager we know Arteta is, a player who does just follow instructions to the letter is always going to have a value. Mm. Um, and also there's a skill to that. You know, I think sometimes we think, well, the talented players, 
you know, they don't really mm. need to follow instructions. And the ones who follow instructions are sort of, you know, they're kind of dog's bodies, really, water carriers. But mm. there's a tactical intelligence required to interpret a plan on the pitch. And I think Elneny probably doesn't get enough credit for that. I was watching the game yesterday and thinking better teams than Arsenal have had an Elneny in them. Mm. You know, I think some pretty good sides who've won things and achieved things have had a player in them like Elneny, who is completely unspectacular, mm. but extremely reliable. You don't want five of them. And if you're not very good, then he can be a limiting factor. But in a team with plenty of gifted attacking players, mm. someone who provides that stability, I think is useful. And I don't think anybody sat here saying he's the answer, he's the long-term solution, he's going to start every game. But the way in which he stepped into the breach left by parties' absence has been really impressive. Yeah. And I was looking at him yesterday and thinking, I'm sure Sambi's enormously talented. Clearly, they think highly of him in the Belgian international setup, and we've seen glimpses of it. But he can't do this right now. Uh, I don't no, think. But, no, I agree. I think that's fair. Um, like I said, he's the he's the player for this part of the season. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, we have questions about Pepe, but we sort of talked about. Pepe, really, didn't we? Mm. Um, I mean, Walsh just said Nicholas Pepe discuss. I suppose the only addition to that is like, do you think he? What I would add to that is to the discussion we had in part one is, do you think it's finished for him? Do you think he'll go? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, I don't think so too. Uh, and what would you be prepared to accept? Well. Given our complete and utter shambles that we make of the um, transfer ins and outs mm. every year when we do we'll be this, paying him off, I imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, he's two years left on his contract. He's not been playing. I mean, if we get twenty million for him, we'd be doing well, wouldn't we? I think we'd be doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think but, yeah. 15 to 20 is what yeah. we're looking at, probably, realistically. I think so, which, if you feel so inclined, might lend to scrutiny of the fee that we paid for him, but that feels a bit like uh, yeah, that bolted, water under the bridge at this point. Um, but, I, I, you know, it's clear that he is not a one of Mikel Arteta's trusted players. I think he has too many doubts about him. Those were and have been evident for some time. I think when you're when you're Nicolas Pepe, and this is something we talked about before, but and I'm not necessarily sure I agree with any of this. Uh, what I'm about to say, I just think that it it speaks to um, the way that he's been viewed by Mikel Arteta since more or less Mik Mikel Arteta took over. Like the Willian thing should have been a big red flag. You know, mm. when you sign a guy like Willian, when you've got Pepe, who'd had a decent end to that 
season and played a part in us winning the FA Cup, he was probably man of the match. Beyond Aubameyang, you know, who scored the two goals, Pepe was really good that day. And what we did was go out and bring in an over-the-hill guy from Chelsea who was terrible. But it probably should have raised red flags about the way Mikel Arteta was thinking about Pepe. You know? Yeah. Well, I think it did. I think we... I think. I think we all knew that then, that it wasn't exactly an indicator of faith. Um, I just couldn't escape the feeling. I mean, I, I don't know if we'll see him again, honestly. Like, did you depend on game state. Did you see the the bit at the end? Because I saw maybe James Bench tweet no, about it. I didn't see it. Saying that um, Albert Steubenberg. Albert Steubenberg yeah. word with him. Words. Like, you know that picture of um, Juan Carlos Casado? Unai Emery's assistant, there's a brilliant picture of him just pointing at Mustafi on the training ground. You're thinking, what on earth is the message he's trying to get through that fucking skull? Um, I didn't see it, but Arteta referenced it in his um, press conference. He was asked about it, I think. Yeah, he said on the mischance, when you see that he's got an empty net in front of him and he's taking a touch backwards, we cannot really understand but you have to have the perception of the player in that moment. They're the ones who make the decisions. Unfortunately, we didn't need that goal. So, yeah. yeah. Like I say, I think that was a more complicated scenario than the screen grabs might suggest. I was um, more, I found the rest of his performance more frustrating than that moment. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just think that he he's peripheral. Mm. in the group you know he's just not really part of it and and some of that is his nature he, he's a really shy quiet boy and you know he his his sort of clique in the dressing room the kind of francophonic uh gang with a bamiang mm. that's where he was most at home and that's sort of been broken up a little bit um and I just think as well as all that personality fit stuff, there's a tactical fit issue. And if Elneny is the guy who follows the instructions to the letter, Pepe is the guy who the instructions go in one ear and seemingly out the other. Yeah. And that's the deciding factor in this, I suspect. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, look, as Elneny has shown, you can never say never when a player is um, seemingly on the on yeah. the outs. But I would be really, really surprised um, just quickly on Elneny, by the way, I wouldn't mind a few more of those goals from the halfway line. If, he, if he's got those in his locker and he's storing them up, this might be the t- White Hart Lane would be as good a time as any. <laughs> there was a question uh, from about that actually. Carl Jason or Carl Carl Jason, who's that? Carl Jason on Twitter um, said, "Goodly morning forever." Uh, of the three goal scenarios for our winner against Spurs, which is your pick? Martinelli counter attack goal, Elneny long range. Ramsdale heading in from a corner in stoppage time and somersaulting over Eric Dyer in celebration. I mean, I like the idea that uh, if it's if it's level, <laughs> if it's poised at nil nil. Ramsdale goes up for a corner. Talk about tearing up the instructions right there. Um, I I wouldn't. I, I won't be picky, Andrew. <laughs> Any of those eventualities would be yeah, lovely. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Um, yeah. Well, look, it is all ahead of us. It's going to be it's going to be a stressful week, isn't it? Fairly sleepless. It is and and it, it's yeah, I think so. I, I struggled to get to sleep last night and I imagine it'll be the same 
I just hope I can sleep soundly on Thursday evening. Yeah. We shall see. We shall see. Well, look, we are doing uh, an Arscast Extra on Friday. Mm-hmm. So I hope it's a very goodly morning for all of us. Um, and I hope it's a good one on, on Thursday night, obviously. But we'll we'll spend some time this week on the blog and um, in our preview podcast on Patreon as well, building up to this particular game. Um, this huge North London derby. Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know how to make anyone feel better about this in the build-up. No. I just don't know. I mean, I've been we've been doing this podcast for years. I've been writing about Arsenal for 20 years. I don't know what I can say that will make anyone feel calm or I just don't know. I think we all have no, to. No, there's nothing to be done. I think yeah. we just have to face it. That's all there there is to do. Um, difficult though that is. So yes, I, <laughs> I'm out of ideas. Oh, me too. Me too. Look, we're all in this together, but we've all got to do it our own way. I think is. Listen, is uh, listen. This is how I would end it. As bad as we feel, as horrible as it is for us, mm. Spurs fans will be feeling worse. Because they're Spurs fans, they've they've just realised they're Spurs fans. <laughs> yeah. No, but but because you know the situation favours us, and everything is on the line for them, mm. um, and the onus is on them too. So, as as difficult as it is, as is always the case, I'd rather be us than them for sure, for sure. Okay, well, look, we we'll leave it there for now. Um, Thank you as ever for listening and uh, for giving us the opportunity to get inside your ears and um, rid ourselves at least a little bit of some of the tension, even though I think um, over the course of this podcast, I've been worked up into a state of uh, inner turmoil might be the the best way of putting it. But um, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate you listening. Um, Take it easy for now and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. 